Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. There's a big difference between believing you understand a concept and really internalizing it. I learned this as a 19-year-old when I got off a bus from Charles de Gaulle Airport to a train station in Paris. I thought I knew French, but I definitely hadn't internalized it, as a very nice Parisian attempted to communicate with me to help direct me to my train going to Toulouse. I was a stunned deer in headlights. Maybe for our work, we don't need to incorporate the kind of change that requires a totally new body of knowledge or a functional grasp of a foreign language. But we always want tools to adapt, change, and learn new things in our work and life. And more than that, we don't want to create new blind spots by thinking we understand something that we really don't. Pip and I have developed pilot projects and working groups customized to clients that will help embed internalization and investment process. But we'll go deeper on that another time. Because today, we include a friend later in this conversation whose profession demands internalization of every piece of his act such that to his audience, all motions are effortless. He needs to be particularly beguiling to his audience. It's magician and mentalist Ryan Oakes. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so there's a big difference between um, conceptualizing an idea and then internalizing it. And for our purposes, when we work with clients, especially on process changes, it's really easy to conceptualize um, something different you would do in your process, but then doing it is um, a completely different ballgame. And this route between conceptualization and internalization, there are a lot of different paths you can take. And we'll talk about that. But Pip, why don't you also talk about the difference first so we can really get clear on almost like our working definitions of these two different modalities and why it's important. In this case, I'm not sure if we have a working definition, but I have a working example to distinguish between these two things. I think about if you know, you and Ryan and I and, you know, Claire or Eamon or something were playing a new card game and I was the only one that knew the card game and you all were game. So you're like, yeah, let's play. And I said, okay, the game is X, Y, Z. And I held the, literally held the cards in my hand and I was trying to explain how the game's going to go. And then you guys fired in questions at a certain point, you'd start to ask these weird questions and I'd go, well, you know, I still have the cards in my hand. I'd go, well, if that happened, and then someone probably Clara would say, can we just play a couple hands? And when you start to play a couple hands, you figure it out through internalizing because you're actually doing the thing. Now, the concept part is really important. That's, that's why we need academic studies. That's why we need, we need foundational concepts. Then we need processes that help us internalize. Otherwise, we're always going to be kind of needing to go to a bookshelf to find how to do X, Y, Z. And the bookshelf's not very convenient. In our work as analysts, we don't want to have to go to some bookshelf or CFA manual or a textbook from college on you know, um, accounting or whatever. 
we want to kind of know it deep in our hearts. So that's why we want this, con this conceptualization plus this internalization. The other example that I like is piano uh, playing. Uh, Bryn, I think you studied the piano growing up a lot. The, the teacher would come over once a week and maybe like teach you some things. And then they'd say, okay, practice every day. And then the practice is the internalization process. And without that, the teacher comes back and, and they know that you haven't done anything. So I like to think about those as a couple examples of concepts really important. Internalization is absolutely vital. I also think of it as like, um, how do we remember these things? Concepts kind of sit maybe in the prefrontal cortex of our memory. You know, it's, it's very intellectual. But once we've practiced something, whether it's piano, a card game, or a new way of working, it becomes more embodied. And that means, to me, it becomes easier. You don't have to remember every little thing once you've embodied something. Or when, we used to work, when we used to work with Julian Gordon, he had programs, 30-day programs to take on a new habit. Or there's always, everyone knows that if you're gonna learn a new word, use it every day for three weeks and blah, blah, blah. So it's, those are internalizing processes that the, the foundational work is necessary, but it doesn't get us humans the whole way there. I was thinking, Bryn, um, I quit doing public speaking um, about 12 years ago and it wasn't I was going to say I hate. In fact, I love public speaking. Actually, as you might, many of you might know, but I real or suspect, but I realized that I was going, giving a bunch of concepts, but there was zero follow up. And I think that if you have conceptualization posed as like uh, advancement, but you don't have internalization, that that person presenting that foundational work really devolves into an entertainer. So you could go hear Bill Clinton speak at a lunch, but then a month later say, did I actually learn any from that? From that? Did I actually do anything different? Did I consider doing anything different? Did I build a process to do something different? If the answer is no, then you went for entertainment, which is fine as long as you know you're going for entertainment. Don't charge your clients and things like that for your own entertainment. Generally, I'm against like speaker series or we do a book club together in, unless there's an internalizing process associated with it. So many of the things we do at Sundance or different gatherings, we aim to build in silent time or uh, people rolling up their sleeves and breakout sessions and working together on a topic, as opposed to having some superstar come on and present for an hour, that'll devolve into entertainment. And there's nothing worse than pretending that you're accomplishing something. And then, you know, years later, realizing that that was all just kind of entertainment and distraction. So we have a really fun twist because we do have an entertainer on with us today, Ryan Oaks. Oh God, and not one of those. <laughs> but the most amazing thing is that Ryan, you've been able to teach us a lot about internalization because it's part of how you do what you do. Um, and before we get into that, I just wanna, um, I heard, through the grapevine that in the last year since COVID, you've done 400 virtual events. Is that right? Something like that? It's about right. Yeah, about 400 different virtual events and meetings. It's just been a, a whole new uh, arena over this you, last year as I've pivoted away from in-person events. You had no time to sit and conceptualize. You had to quickly no, it move was, into uh, action. It was trial by fire, uh, but it's been it's been great and uh, it's been a learning exercise and it's so different than uh, the work I would do in person at live events, which I've done for 20 years. Um, 
so you know, internalization is a different thing in my field. I mean, you, you could just Actually, sort of generalize. Ryan, can, I, can I just jump in for a second to tee this up? Most of people know you by now from the different things that actually over the last year, you've been in a lot of our gatherings, which has been really cool. But how, so Ryan has performed as entertainment, because entertainment's fun, you know, it's just when you confuse entertainment and accomplishment of like, like business advancement, that, that's where my problem was. But so I'm this process freak and Ryan mm -hmm. would come to our gatherings and entertain and just blow people's minds. And one day about three years ago, I was doodling and I go, wait a second, that Ryan guy, that magician guy, he is probably really good at process, which is almost like an understatement. And so I called Ryan and said, hey, we work with a lot of people in process. And then I bridge it over to investing. And I'm sure he thought I was a nut. And I said, no, trust me. I just want to know how you do your process. And in one conversation, I think I realized that every little aspect of what Brian does has a point and a purpose and uh, clarity uh, about the minutest of detail of what he's trying to accomplish. I think you didn't even know how much process you had. Um, and I was like, oh my God, where do we start? So why we are tilting, came to you for internalization specifically among the gazillion things you could help us with in process. Two years ago at, at the Seaport office, you came down and you revealed a trick to us. Mm -hmm. And in the process of revealing it, you said, I would paraphrase, I need people to go through, give them space to go through their explanations of how I'm doing what I'm doing so that after they've gone through their intern, my word, internalization process to go through and I've knocked out all the possible explanations in their brain, then the reveal is like, oh my God, because they, they had a chance to try to figure out how you were fooling them. And they, at the end, they couldn't explain it all. Exactly. So that's what I think about internalization meets your work is like so fundamentally important. Yeah, super important. Uh, and, and I give both you and, and Brian a lot of credit for recognizing that uh, uh, there's process in, in what I do. And, and I didn't really see it myself in, in that way initially. Um, but I mean, when we talk about internalization in my field, really, I mean, you could generalize and call it rehearsal, right? I mean, you know, you, when we learn uh, new effects and, and magicians discuss concepts and ideas, uh, it's never, oh, great, uh, I've learned that and, and, and now I can go do it. It's like, oh, okay, I'll try that. You know, and I'm not sure all fields have that. Uh, I know, you know, when we speak about, you know, physical fields, sports and so forth, we always think about practice and, and physical repetition. And we don't think about that so much uh, in more intellectual roles where you're uh, just processing concepts and ideas and, and techniques. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that we do in, in the magic field in order to build up our confidence and our familiarity with the material. Uh, I mean, even so much as, you know, the fact that we, you know, we talk when we work, right? The idea always is to rehearse our, our material so much that we don't have to think about what we're doing physically with our hands or uh, the modus operandi of, of what we're doing, but can communicate. To our, to our spectators and our audiences. Uh, and there's a word for what we say, patter, right? The, the, what we say. Uh, and more often than not, that's scripted. You know, and it's such a foreign concept to think uh, in business, you might have something scripted, right? You don't want to think that what you say is scripted, but in a lot of ways, it, it sort of has to be in the sense that you have to internalize your process so much that it, that it becomes 
a script in your head that you're just going through. You're running this process, this algorithm, if you will, of, of how you do things and of how you react to various uh, things that could happen. Uh, in, in my work, generally, uh, there's a lot of external factors which can can change the course of action, uh, and I need to sort of adapt to those um, as be, which is an interesting thing in virtual because, you know, for the first time I'm working in a situation that's consistently the same, uh, much like a, a magician who's performing a show in Vegas every night in the same theater, uh, the same dark uh, room uh, with lights on them. Uh, now I, I'm in that situation for the first time in my career. And in a lot of ways it's great because I can explore different things that I do and I'll always have a consistent outcome. Uh, but it's also making me nervous for going back to in-person events where I had the diversity of every single event was different. Okay, this one, uh, it's loud in the back or uh, the lights aren't so great or people can't see me as well. And I would need to adapt and constantly reevaluate re my process. Um, anyway, that's, that's one of the great techni techniques to internalize things is changing up your environment, uh, whether it's just, you know, taking a phone call, standing up versus sitting down or, as I said, performing in different venues. Well, I can see that in the world of investing, there has to be um, a certain amount of core belief or um, investment philosophy so that, you know, investors also have a lot of things that knock us around external stimuli, things happening in the market, um, new news, companies doing things we didn't expect. And that if the core investment philosophy is really strong and embodied, then you can be so much more dexterous with handling, for investors, there are a lot of um, decision-making biases that come into play. And that's sort of like our heckler in the back or the, the, the bad lighting is, okay, how do I make, you know, when it comes to decision-making time, how do I make sure I'm, you know, as solid as possible, you know? I was thinking, Ryan, to connect with this, like you, your need to read a room is so much more than just about any one that I've ever thought because you have to know who's on the, on the sides, what's the context of the audience, who's the boss, who's brought this group together, where are the hecklers? You're like reading all this and you're having to do something that's probably pretty complicated. So even as, well, if, if there's a person on the corner over there, they're gonna see how I'm doing this trick and take all of that into account and adjust and adapt without that core internalization of what you're doing, like the number of variables almost seems preposterously large. Exactly, you always need to have that roadmap in your head of where you're going so that you can just look back to that and react uh, and, and know where you're going. Uh, it, it's really so important and, and it took me a long time even to understand how crucial you know, scripting and rehearsal was in my work. Um, you know, growing up, I was doing magic, and and a lot of times I would, I would learn something, and, and I and I lay in bed thinking about it, and you know, my mother occasionally says, "Are you rehearsing something? You know, are you rehearsing?" I think, "Oh yeah, I'm th I'm thinking about it right now." I said, "Well, you can't just think about it; you got to do it." And it actually, I I did realize after a while that I I really was rehearsing oftentimes when I was just laying there because I was visualizing exactly what I was what I was going to do, which came down to so much of what I would then be doing physically. I, of course, you didn't have to try to do it physically, but that was a step in my process. Um, and you know, it, it, it's, it's easy to overlook little things like that and think you know, it won't apply. So Ryan, I have a question for you. How do you figure out what you know, your audience members might be assuming is where the trick is going? You know, and you were saying you, can, you close off all of the options. How do you, if, 
if you were going to reveal a trick to us right now, like, would you, do you have part of your process where you go through that? Like, okay, they're going to assume X and then they're going to assume Y. How does that work? And can you give us a, an example without going into a trick, which would probably need visualization or whatever you think? Yeah, I, I did think about this beforehand, trying to figure out if I could actually teach something. I think it's difficult in this format, but I, I can sort of explain that, you know, so much of the work I do is understanding their perception of a moment, right? Uh, understanding what they might see and how they'll see that. Uh, it's very easy to get lost in our own viewpoint of things. Uh, and everything in magic really relies on, on your viewpoint. Um, now there's things I'm gonna try to make my audiences see and things I'm gonna try to make them not see. Uh, it's up to me though to how to you know, leave them with the, the lasting memories of, of the moments I want versus what I don't want. Um, it's tricky. It's, it, there's not an exact science to it, I don't think, and it does sort of take trial and error with with each uh, effect or, or routine. Uh, I mean, something you brought up, Bryn, uh, is is you know testing things in lower situations. That's something that magicians do a lot. Um, I need to find opportunities to to be bad, if you will. Right? How can I test something out without doing it in a professional paid performance? Uh, I mean, growing up again. To reference my beginnings, I would I would palm a coin. A magician, you know, oftentimes might palm something in their hand. I would palm a coin in my hand under my desk at school and just hold it there for an entire class uh, as as an exercise. Uh, the risk, of course, being that I would drop it and, and everyone would look over like, what's going on over there? Um, but low risk, you know, I, I, it would be great to train myself and build muscle memory and all that. Um, but you know, in my daily life now, even still, I do things to to you know, heighten my own comfortability of uh, various things that I might do in a professional setting. Um, you know giving someone a, a credit card, right? I've done this before where I maybe just switch the credit card as I give it to them, right? Um, from one card to another, it doesn't matter. E either card is acceptable, but you know, for my own practice, switching it and they don't know what's happening. And if I did it right, they don't see anything. But I, I have now in a, in a live real time situation done something which has built my confidence to now a professional setting, uh, things like that. You know, uh, I'll sit in a restaurant and look around the room. You know, I remember a, a scene from a Born Identity movie that I really, resonated with me uh, where he was like clocked everything right there's a guy over there eating soup his woman over there complaining about the bill and he knew everything going on great exercise right building awareness of your surroundings uh do that next time you're at a restaurant just do a 180 look everything around take notes and then see if you can recall it five minutes later you know i love your point about people in our profession are likely to be in a um a subset of people that do very little internalization, that do very little practice. Uh, we're online all the time, whereas doctors, I think they have to go through eight years of practice. And I think that's just an outstanding point for me to remember, as I think. I almost have to overcompensate to build in internalization processes because I'm probably more starved for them than I, than I really realized. I think we also just give our intellect more credit than it deserves. I think sometimes we just think we've learned something and we're like, oh yeah, got it. And like, okay, well, no, but do you really, did, did you, have you tried it? Have you done it? You know, and that's so, so key. I it's, mean, it, it's so easy to gloss over that. It's almost an assault to our intellect. If someone asks us, do you really got it? I'm like you just said it like, of course, I, I'm not stupid. I got, of course I got it. But then you try and apply it like four days later and you're like, it wasn't even in your, vision anywhere. I, I think we're so, at times, Ryan, I think what Bryn and I maybe noticed, or at least I, I have, think I observe, we're so productivity oriented 
So for mm -hmm. instance, um, our clients, many people in the investment field go to investor conferences, even now in, in uh, COVID by Zoom, go to tons mm -hmm. of investor conferences. Now, if you have to get on a plane and stuff and all like four days away and blah, 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 either you might have to justify it or you have to justify it to your boss or the accountants or something like that. You may write down, I met with 59 companies or I had one-on-ones with 23 companies. And every time I hear one of our clients going off to meet with people and they maybe you know, say, yeah, I'm meeting with 16 management teams. I sort of think, well, maybe it would be better to meet with seven and then build in time right after that management meeting to go sit and think and let everyone else be productive. But it's just a thought that came to my head. So sure. I think that's one of the interesting things about when we talk about internalization with our clients, it can be something, it is about um, focusing in and going much deeper. So it's still, it's still intellectual, but it's not necessarily about productivity in the way you mentioned or qu quantity, Pip. There's, um, for example, I'm just, you know, with some clients, um, they've decided to do pilot projects or working groups. And when they do that, they're required to take the same material, but from different angles. So that's another way that I think about internalization. And it is almost a little bit more embodied because you're sitting in a room with your colleagues and you're having to play slightly different roles. You're having to verbalize, not just write something down. There, there are all these different ways we can internalize. I do think that we over-intellectualize and we think that we know things and, and instead we're probably getting trapped in our own heads as, in, as investors. And so taking it out of that realm and exploring a little bit with any, any of these things, pilot projects, working groups, um, we have a bias towards getting the mm -hmm. concept right and not really fully knowing the concept sometimes. Oh, when people come back from conferences, gatherings, they'll say on the plane, oh, on the plane flight home, I have a lot to digest, which always doesn't sound like the most attractive word to like, I'm going to be on the plane digesting. I'd rather watch a movie than digest. But if we change that word to internalize, I'm going to get on the plane, I'm going to internalize. Then it's like, oh, I need this to sink into my bones so that I can come up with something uncommon and if I just follow the common paths of 49 management meetings and da, 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 without a really strong method of internalizing and giving myself time to think, uh, I'm probably going to do too much common work and come to common conclusions, which that has no role in investing. Ryan, I really like how you did internalization within your schooling time. <laughs> because I, when we think about how in the Western world we're educated, it is very getting your, get your brain, do two exercises, read and write, basically. We don't even do a lot mm -hmm. of verbal or a lot of movement or different ways to internalize. And so Ryan, I love that you just brought it right into your classroom. Yeah, it felt totally natural, you know, building up confidence uh, in a different environment, you know, not on stage. Um, you know, imagine we talk about perception and, and how to understand an audience member's perception of things and how they absorb information. Uh, but the same approach can be thought about uh, in the reverse of your own internalization. Uh, and, you know, it's, we sort of follow like typical like psychological approaches uh, of, you know, how you receive stimulation and how you organize information that you presented uh, and then how you interpret it. And in magic, 
you know, we talk about feeding someone information, letting them organize it, right? Apply uh, their previous knowledge to information that's presented and, and place it in their own mental buckets. And then we perhaps give them more information that allows them to interpret it, right? So now they're applying concepts, their own values and beliefs, uh, and they're looking to assimilate it uh, with perhaps former experiences, but also looking to apply it in new ways, right? And that's sort of the magic place for, for, for magicians, if you will, uh, where we can play with their interpretation of something. We can give them information and then play with how they then interpret it, right? Um, but the same thing is, is, is interesting on the reverse. If you think about how we absorb information, right? You take it in and then, okay, you're gonna internalize it. What does that mean? It means you're gonna apply that knowledge you just received and compare it to the knowledge you already had, right? Compare, contrast, how can I organize it based on my prior experiences and what new information does this bring me, right? And now how, let me apply it. Let me apply it to my current life, my current situation, my current clients and reorganize everything. So it really is a whole process that we need to go through step-by-step step as opposed to uh, just filing it away, understanding it and I file it away. No, apply it, reorganize it, and now regenerate new information from that based on your current situation. Ryan, you've been called a magician, but also a mentalist. Is that um, where that name comes from? Like, is that? Well, yeah. I mean, mentalism is is a is a is a, is a division, a subset of magic, if you will. It's like uh, it's like medicine, and then there's you know surgeons, I guess, if you will. Right? There's it's it's a it's a part of magic uh, where we you more use more psychologically based approaches, uh, understanding how people might think, how to influence their decisions and their their mental pathways, uh, and sometimes it's applied to a, a physical effect, and sometimes it is truly something that happens in the mind of a spectator. Um, but yeah, a lot of this really comes into play then in understanding how people are making decisions and yeah. uh, what sorts of preconceived assumptions are going to come into in a situation uh, and which assumptions you can play off of. Do you, um, so you're, you're doing a, a particular trick or, or a magician is like a, and do you think about the amount of time it's going to have take people to go through a progression in their mind? of, wait, I bet he's doing that with wires. And will you let them have that moment before demonstrating like something that it, it can't be the wires? Are you, are you kind of thinking through, okay, their first thought is gonna, it's gonna be wires. Let me let them sit in that for 30 seconds so they think they figured it out and then I'll demonstrate. Like, how do you think yeah, about that time? Absolutely. Internalization. Because um, I think, I, I think it depends level, on the effect. At some level, managers yeah. or PMs are also trying to do the same thing with analysts, although we're mm -hmm. not doing it consciously. So we expect them to be real-time computers. How do you think about that? Uh, I mean, it, it depends on the effect, but I mean, a lot of times there are pathways we want people to go down uh, and there are things we are prepared to defend, if you will, right? In magic, like there's things that I have to be prepared. You're gonna guess, okay, it's wires or it's in your hand or there's a hidden string, whatever it is. Um, and maybe those are things I actually want you to think about and continue to think about that you've, you know, so that you write it off. Oh, I figured it out. It's, you know, it's the wires so that I can then completely flip it on you later. Right. I want you to sort of keep on going down that pathway. And the more that you've convinced yourself, the better off I am. Cause you see, in the end of the day, I can't make magic happen in your own mind. You have to let it happen in your mind, right? You have to make these moments happen by convincing yourself. You're not going to take my word for it necessarily, but if I feed you the right information and you make your own assumptions, 
that's when the magic happens, right? It doesn't happen necessarily in my hands. It happens in your mind. So the more I can play off these moments where I know that perhaps you're thinking in a certain way, the more I can let you think that way, I, you know, perhaps you're digging the hole deeper, right? And now it's going to be even easier for me later to surprise you with a different outcome. As Ryan was talking about having a keen understanding of how we organize knowledge and how he can play on how we reorganize it so he can slip in and change how we perceive it, it made it even more valuable to me that we all go below surface level with our process and important concepts that our investment process rests on, particularly with newer elements of process like maybe ESG. But there were also no clues in this conversation as to how Ryan pulled off that card trick when he was in Brooklyn and the participant was in the UK and some of you know what I was talking about and I still have no idea what I was possibly missing that would have allowed that to happen. So thanks for the magic, Ryan. <laughs>